dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. There are many aspects about the Christian faith which we could find surprising. Not everything that God does is immediately self-evident to us. But something that never ceases to amaze me is that God insists that we take action. Not only does he say, do not be afraid, but he doesn't let us off the hook. Leaders have to make decisions constantly and engage themselves in operations that can sometimes be risky. Why does God do this? And where can we find the courage to embrace the risk and still dare the deed. Thanks everyone for coming and being a part of this. Uh, awesome. We're, we're looking at part four of our seminar on the difference that Christ makes in our leadership. And I love this because what we're seeing is a trend an understanding of God's wisdom where God takes the very thing of which we're afraid, the very weak point in ourselves that keeps us from action and keeps us from leadership. And he makes that the focal point of his victory. This is consonant with his mercy. When God shows mercy, he actually goes towards the wound that we think brings us condemnation. And he makes that wound the very sight of his glory and of, of his healing in our life. Now, that's amazing. So think about St. Paul, for example. He goes off and does the worst thing he could possibly imagine, which is, of course, persecuting the church of God unto death. And God makes that the salient feature for his ministry, where he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles and proclaims Christ from the rooftops the rest of his life. And this is something that we see a lot of times when, when God takes a wound and makes that wound the very place whence a person becomes a healer. I'm thinking many of the counselors of, uh, that are out there in the audience today or psychologists. This is something that you, where, you know, where did you first get interested in psychology or physical therapists? You take a poll on, on why someone wanted to become a physical therapist. And usually it's because in fact, they had gone through physical therapy and were inspired and touched by a therapist. So they took an occasion that was hard for them and they turned that into a life-giving proposition where now they're touching the world and making it better precisely through the spot which they thought was their downfall. And, and God does this again and again throughout Scripture. He takes our weakness and he makes the weakness strong, not just taking it away from us, but by meeting us there so that the very spot that we thought would bring about our downfall actually becomes one of the most beautiful and wonderful places where we give ourselves to other people. And he's going to do the same thing in your company. I even think that it's a principle to say that a company is never really strong until they know, it knows where it's weak. And as soon as a company knows where it's weak, where it can break down, it can actually make that very spot of weakness, thanks to its efforts and its focus, into the spot where it becomes the strongest. Right? So if you take a look at that, then we need to not be afraid to see where we break down we have to be more afraid of not knowing where we break down. 
The real weakness is going to come when we deny the fact that we have problems or we deny the fact that, that we actually can improve and we think that our own strength suffices. That's the great thing about the Christian wisdom. God is even stronger than we are. God is bigger than we are. God can do more than we can do. And we need to get out of God's way and let God do his wonders. Well, where, where does that, what does that look like? You know, concretely, it looks like us saying, having problems is not a problem. It's having problems with having problems. That's the real problem. And if I embody that philosophy, then I can take a look at all of the reasons why I don't succeed. And I, I put them into five boxes, right? I think it, you, can, you can say, I don't succeed because I don't really want to do anything. And I'm going to call that fatalism, right? I can do it because I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do something or the way to find success. I'm going to call that fog. I'm going to fail or not succeed because I never even try. I mean, like I have an idea, I've got a plan, but I, I, I can't actually effectuate. Kind of like a young man who's, you know, going to ask a girl out and, and, and chooses not to. Well, he's never going to find that girl to be his wife if he can't ask her to dance. But because he can't ask her to dance and he has that fear, the fear of risk, he's not even going to, he's never going to find a way to the ultimate success because he can't even effectuate on a small thing. And there are people out there like that. We know that we want to be a good dad. We know the way to be a good dad is to play catch with our kids in the backyard, and yet we can't seem to find our way off the couch, right? And so because we can't find our way off the couch, it never happens. The, the fifth, fourth form of failure or the reason why we don't succeed is because we just are plumb tuckered out. We've tried so many times that we just give up. And, and even if we try and we're succeeding, it's a long road. It's a hard and long haul. And sometimes we've just run out of energy because we're always are facing adversity after adversity. It's like every time you try to do something, you spell action and, and daring by adversity <laughs> and challenge. And that can just really get wearing and can and knock you off the horse. And then, of course, the fifth way is by what I call forlornness. And it's this isolation that a leader can, can exhibit that says, you don't want to follow me anyway. A forlorn person is someone who creates their own solitude by refusing to believe that anyone sees value in who they are or what they do. And all of those weaknesses can actually become doorways to Christ. When I let Christ into my forlornness, for example, that he changes that forlornness into a gift of communion. The very fact that I feel like I'm able to be rejected when united to God's mercy actually becomes a confidence that brings other people into a unity, not only around me, but with each other as well. All right, then, and if I can change my fog into Christian clarity, I mean, Christ can come and thanks to him, I see a way to make the decisions. Now, a lot of times with fog, it's not even that it's between a choice of a bad and a good. That's kind of obvious. But when it's a choice between two good things, I mean, it, it's, it, you can get overwhelmed. You can say, well, which of these two am I supposed to actually do? Christ comes in exactly there to say, don't be afraid of making a choice. I will be with you when you make that choice, and I will help you to pivot if that's what you need to do. And thanks to that, we can have a, an ability to make those decisions that's even greater than what we had before, and, and so forth and so on with each of those ways. 
And so in a special way, I want to speak now with you about what happens when we let Christ into our fear of risk. How can we take the risks that we face and actually make them the places and the occasion where we shine in victory? Right? And, and that fear of risk is in itself not a bad thing. It's actually rooted in a realism that we have something to lose. And the understanding of the value of what we could lose, the deeper that that understanding goes, the more that that fear can be uh, uh, at our door. And that's not from, of course, a lack of intelligence. It's from a true understanding of that intelligence. And yet Christ is calling us to not be afraid, to take a step forward like the apostles or like Simon Peter, if you want to think of that example, who gets out of his boat and walks on the water. And you could almost ask, well, why does Simon Peter get out of the boat? I mean, he has nothing to gain from that. He could, in fact, drown. And that's how the story ends, is with Simon Peter drowning in the water because it was, in fact, risky, and he could, in fact, drown. And he calls out, Lord, save me, and the Lord lifts him up. But for a brief period of time, Simon Peter was walking on water. And I want to see, how can I transform the areas of my leadership from a certitude of drowning or a fear that's so great I never get out of the boat. And actually, thanks to Christ, walk on water in my life too. There's a way, and Christ knows it. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So we need to talk about courage. And when I talk about courage here, I'm not speaking about courage in all of its shapes and forms. I'm not talking about the many ways that you can talk legitimately about courage and its role in the Christian life. I want to focus specifically on the point that we leaders face where we have to pass away from planning and into executing on our given plans. And it's a really unique place, and it's a unique role that takes a special set of gifts uh, and a special action from God's grace. Because it's one thing to sit back and talk about everything that needs to be done. And boy, are there ever a lot of people that are really good at this. They, they sit around and they say, you know, someone ought to. Someone ought to start a television station. Someone ought to help those kids to, you know, learn the beauty of their sexuality. Someone ought to, you know, and, and so they're really good at that. And then there's another group of people that when someone actually steps forward and does something, the next thing that they do is they turn around and they say, and you should have done it better. All right, those are the critics. Um, and so these are all good. You've got critics, you've got idea people, and, and you've got, a, that's where a lot of our Christianity stays focused, for example. And that's a lot of times where our businesses stay as well. We plan them out, we think about changes, but when the, the rubber hits the road and you know you're going to implement those changes and things are going to get real and they're going to get real real fast, well, it's funny how people tend to leave the leader alone. And you can find yourself holding the bag saying, is this really all my mistake? This is when we find ourselves up late at night, laying in our bed, just pondering. I mean, if I get that mortgage on that house, will I be able to pay it off? If I move my family across the country, you know, will I be able to pick up the pieces of the children's education? If we expand to another facility, will we be able to find the same market there that we did before? If I don't hire this person who's not the person I really want, 
Uh, will my other people who are good, will they leave just because they don't find the support? Or do I have to find just the right person? I have to make decisions that actually move us from an internal phase where we can plan things and wipe them off the, the chart again into an external phase where there are real consequences. I remember working with an architect who said, here, if I just erase that little line with a, an eraser, it costs nothing. If we do that when in the field and we need to take a wall down, it'll cost $30,000. <laughs> you know, he said, at the phase when you plan things, it's just on pen and paper. There's nothing to it. But when you pass into actual relationships or actual well, consequences, then the leader's sense of responsibility kicks in. And if you're a good leader, you are keenly aware of the risk that's in front of you and the, the consequences that could happen. And for a big decision, your consequences could sink the whole ship. And none of us like making those decisions. But I want to flip that on its head because that fear of the risk that's involved can petrify us and keep us from action. And I actually think it's a moment. I think it's a moment where Christ can come into our hearts. Christ can come into our lives in a very unique way. It's actually a, a, a passage of God in our lives because that risk that we carry, he actually wills for us as his gift. And I mean that. I don't mean that it's fun to lose things. I don't mean it's fun to fail. I'm not, I'm not making light of any of the real suffering that's involved. And I'm also not saying that that risk is even like a trivial thing. But I am saying that something happens inside of us when we pass into risk. That can't happen elsewhere. We become what we choose. I like to make it this. We make choices, and the choices we make make us. Right? So we make decisions to engage in this or that, and every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. There's only one way to live a day, and it's the day that we've got. And, and so if I choose, and I'm deliberate about how I choose what I'm doing with that time, well, I have the great gift that comes from that at the, same, at the same time, which is that I've actually become what I've invested in. I get to gain the fact that not only am I a planner or a dreamer, but I'm actually doing the deed. I've passed into an external phase that's allowed me existentially, use a big word, to become something. And if I don't choose it and I stay in the planning phase, I can be many things. I can, I can be an astronaut and I can be a firefighter and I can, you know, run a doggy kennel and I can do all those different things at the same time in my head. But when I know that I've only got one life to live, it makes all, gives all of the value to that choice that I'm going to make. Now when I choose to do something, I'm actually identifying and becoming what I've chosen. I'm identifying myself with that choice. And then that choice becomes a part of me. Folks, this is a blessing. I mean, I know that in our culture, we like to reward the staying forever at the crossroads. And we like to not really necessarily reward achievement in a given field. We'd rather be with people that, whose life it is to comment on the news than to be with people who actually make it. But to actually make the news instead of being a commentator on it, you have to sacrifice. And that risk of what you're going to lose actually becomes the point where you really gain. You gain because you've lost. That's what I'm trying to say. And, and, and the reason I say it is because we need to learn to love that risk. 
And as, as hard as it is, if we don't pass into execution, we've actually passed up an even greater opportunity. It's like, you know, Shakespeare says, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. And you could make a play on words on that and say, it is better to have lived and lost than to never have lived at all. And the biggest risk we take in life is the risk of not taking any. I remember one time a, a person who was, who was really nervous, they'd finally made a friend in their life and, and, and they were really happy with their friend. And then their, their friend had to move and they were very sad by this. And so they, they said, I'm never going to make another friendship. Because now that if I give my heart and I really invest in someone, then they move. It's just so heartbreaking. And they went to ask advice of an old priest. And the old priest gave a great piece of advice. He said, listen, the fact is you risk a lot more by not risking than you did by risking and losing. And, and I'm not quite sure we're always aware of that. Because again, our culture today rewards the non-risk takers. It's, it's like it's better to be a lemming and to just rush over the cliff as long as you're together with all the other lemmings than it is to be free. But this is not the Christian way. When Christ was on the earth, he did not walk around rewarding inactivity. <laughs> he said, follow me to Simon Peter. And he gave him that dignity. Simon Peter, you can stay a fisherman with all of your nets and all of your boats. And it's a significant thing. You are a running a business. You're sustaining your family. This is your capital and your past and your knowledge and skills. And I'm asking you to put them at my service instead of simply running your business on your own. And Peter has to, and he went immediately. You have to think that that was hard for him. I mean, leaving father and mother, dropping everything and just fo suddenly following Christ. We make it sound like it's an easy choice. It's not an easy choice. There's a lot of risk involved in that. But Peter recognized that there was something more that he wanted and that he couldn't have that something more unless he forsook the rest. And this is what's so important for each one of us to remember is that it's harder to take that risk sometimes, but you risk so much more by not risking it. And I really don't care what the culture says. I'm not here to follow the culture. I'm here to follow Christ. And Christ has told us this simple truth. Whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. Right? You only keep what you give away. And I get it. We got to be, you know, judicious about our choices. And we have to be prudent about our sacrifices and so forth. But at the same time, guys, if we don't have action, I don't think we have love. Love pushes us into action. And action forces us into focus. Right? I can't do everything, but I can do this one thing. And by investing what I have into that one thing, I give a value to that one thing that's as deep as my identity. I stand behind it. I wonder if this isn't a secret to how we gain or get our people to behave, have greater sense of ownership in their jobs and in their positions. Maybe because we just give them these positions and we don't allow them that thrill of risk and responsibility we also don't really reward them with the dignity that comes with their possibilities. We say, and so they don't really own them because they're, they have nothing to lose by them. But when you give someone a, a position that they can screw up and a place where they can, in fact, make mistakes, you've also given them a key, a key for them to be able to shine. There's a quote I like very much that says it well. 
It says this, There is freedom waiting for you on the breezes of the sky. And you ask, what if I fall? But my darling, what if you fly? Christ is there. And I think it's good for us to get in touch with the great plans that he has in store for us. And instead of fearing failure, start to seek hope, start to desire love, start to fall in love with the great things that can be more than the fear of what might not. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So we all know we have to act if we're going to be a leader. And we know that that action can be a great source of blessing and that Christ calls us into it. Like he says to Simon Peter, follow me. Or when Peter says, if it is you, then bid me to come out of the boat and I too will walk on water. And Jesus says, come, right? Or Jesus gives that parable where he talks about how he gives uh, uh, talents and coins, so to speak, to certain people and one of them takes 10 coins and makes 10 more by investing them. Another takes five coins and he invests them and makes five more. And then you have one guy who gets one coin and he says, I'm not going to do anything with that coin. And he just buries it. And when the master comes back, he says, you know, can I, here's my coin back, you know, and he just gives it back to him. And the master says, why didn't you try to do something with it? And he punishes him saying that, listen, I mean, you should have at least tried to gain me interest on it. Meaning it's not acceptable for us just to sit back and say, my life is there to let other people take and, and, and I'm not going to assert myself because I'm afraid of what I can lose. But practically, how do we overcome that? Here are some practical things to help us motivate this. Number one, have a plan B. It sounds simple, but if you're really that afraid, go ahead and think, okay, if the worst case scenario hits, what will I do? And after that, make a plan C. If plan B falls through, then there's a plan C. I mean, you can go through your different plans, but having a good plan is a good way to take away a lot of that anxiety. Because that way, when you're under the pressure and you're actually executing and you're doing the deed, you know if I stick to the plan, I'm going to succeed. And so a lot of times, the pressure of that risk can be mitigated by good, thorough planning and taking the time to do that. Second wonderful way to mitigate that risk for us and help us overcome it is love. What I mean by that is to have a real keen sense, not just of what you risk by doing something, but what benefit there will be by accomplishing it. Who stands to benefit from you taking that risk? What are you doing this for anyway? I mean, and can you afford to not do it if you don't do it, what will happen for all those people for whom that you're engaging this, this activity, right? And, and to be keenly aware of that so that you're motivated by something bigger than you. In other words, there's almost like a, a, a worse punishment at hand by not acting than there is that I have to risk through the action. Right? A third really effective way to do this, of course, is to plan on the failure. And I love to say this. I think people, only people who are willing to fail are really successful. There's a, a lot of people out there that say, oh, failure is not an option. Don't let failure even be an option. Failure is not an option for us. 
And I like to say that I actually think that as long as you're saying that, you're still afraid of failure. Wouldn't it be amazing for you to say, if I fail, I'll get up again. I mean, I'm thinking of Thomas Edison, who tried something like a thousand different ways in order to invent the light bulb. He had to figure out what kind of filament could burn sustainably and that he could harvest and create to make this light bulb thing. And he tried to burn all kinds of different things. And at the end of it, they said, oh, you finally discovered the light bulb. And he said, no, I found 1,000 ways not to discover the light bulb. <laughs> it was a really profound quote, right? But what he's trying to say there is that he was ready to fail and that he failed his way into success. I mean, what are you so scared about anyway? Why do you think that the same person who has come to where you are today with all the success that's in front of you today couldn't rebuild couldn't find another way. Why are you so convinced that the forces out there are bigger than the resources inside? Right? Why, why does everything on the outside seem so much bigger than the one on the inside? When Christ is with us, he says, it's the very fact that you try that matters. Because the love that with which you try and the love you exhibit in a well thought out and a well judged plan it, mean, it means that you're willing to put yourself on the line. And I'll tell you what, no one's going to inspire anybody to follow them if they themselves aren't willing to do the deed and go forward themselves. And honestly, I think we look around us and we say, why aren't more people willing to dare great things and dare great things for Christ? And I'd say, because you're not. I mean, we're all afraid of what we can lose. And I mean, if you're going to win a battle, you got to be willing to lose it all in order to win. You got to be willing to die. And that's why you win the battle. Because you're courageous and you're stronger than your foe who's still got something to lose. If you're that afraid of loss, go ahead and lose it already. You give that to the heart and the hand of Jesus Christ and say, Basta, my life is in your hands. And then you put your hand to the plow and you don't look back. Why? Because we've got a task to accomplish and it can't be done without our leadership and our ability to face that risk. It's the higher up that you go, the bigger the risk. That's why you're there. Because unless you're willing to take that risk, it won't get done. And again, I'm not saying to be rash. I'm not saying to make bad decisions. But when there is a decision, put yourself behind it. If you put yourself behind that decision and you move into execution, you'll have the great leverage of being an effective leader because people will get behind people who put themselves behind their own decisions. And if you're not willing to stand for something, well, then you're going to fall for anything. And no one wants to follow a leader like that. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.